0: Welcome to the special bulletin review, an enterprise cloud conversation sponsored by Oracle and Accenture. Here's today's moderator, Tom Temmel. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guests today are Chris Pasternak. He's the managing director and North America Oracle lead at Accenture, and David Knox, the group vice president and chief technology officer for public sector at Oracle. Gentlemen, it's good to have you both. And David, we'll start with you with the first question here. And now that Federal agencies are 10, 11, 12 years into this whole business of cloud migration. What should they pause and take stock of? What do you think the status of cloud migration is? And what do you think the future trends are as we look to the next four years, say?
1: Well, interesting question, Tom, because the thing about cloud as we've We're in definitely much more mature than we were 10 years ago. Uh, An interesting fallacy, I think, is people said, well, cloud is the thing. And when it started, that is what it is, but it's continued to mature. And so what that means is that there are a lot more options, a lot more services, a lot more capability today than we saw only a few years ago. And so what people need to do is they need to revisit that and think about how can they take advantage of those Is their first initial go at the cloud, in fact, achieving what it is that they want? And then how do they incorporate those new capabilities into what they're doing?
0: And let me just have a follow-up here. The phrase second-generation cloud has emerged. I know that Oracle uses that to refer to the updated cloud services that that offerers have. Is there, in fact, a second-generation of cloud and what what generally characterizes it?
1: Well, it, it's, it, it's hard to say that there's there was an official ball drop on the second generation. I think when we look back historically, we will certainly see that there was an era two, version two of cloud that we are now in. And that has to do a lot with both the cloud service providers, again, and how they're able to build these hyperscale clouds and really continue to drive economies of scale, as well as how our customers take advantage of those services. And again, to the point that I just made, it is about understanding the new way. I guess the second part to this second generation might be thinking it's not an all or nothing kind of scenario. It's not, I need to shut down everything and move everything. It is, what is this coexistence? What is this world really gonna look like? And the world is really gonna look like multiple cloud providers some on premise some in clouds and abilities to move and migrate and the agility of being able to consider those new architectures those new capabilities those new providers will be the key to success
0: and chris i think early on the ease of migration to cloud might have been a little bit overstated agencies thought they could give a gsa credit card and then move their enterprise applications right upstairs and they were all done so, in the reality of cloud migrations, what have you seen as the major, say, challenges, or what are some of the stumbling blocks agencies may still be encountering? Sure, thanks for uh, thanks for having me, Tom. Um,
2: yeah, you know, the I would say there's 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 three major things that I that I continue to see, and this is true not just of federal government agencies; it is true everywhere. So, uh, you know, we're a good company here when we talk about these things. Number one. The number one item here is how do you define success? Um, If you don't have some sort of definition of what success is gonna look like when you get to cloud, how do you know you've achieved what you wanted to achieve? I mean, you know, how do you know where the goalposts are? So, you know, a lot of organizations look at it and say, you know, we need to reduce costs. Well, you know, cost is a good driver. It's a good consideration. Um, But think about, you know, there's other things There's, um, frankly, there's non-tangibles. There's, uh, you know, more subjective things like um, job satisfaction for IT staff. There is, you know, how do your end users feel? Have you improved their experience? Um, That doesn't have a hard number necessarily. And then that can be a measure for success. I think the second piece of the puzzle there is, you know, you you nailed it, Tom, in terms of originally people thought, oh, I'm just going to magically things are just going to move and they're magically just going to work. Um, and we, we now know that's just not true. Um, you know, when you start thinking about your cloud journey, you start thinking about moving things. Key factor here is realizing um, if you have architectural limitations and problems on prem, and you just pick that up and move it to cloud, you are probably going to have those same problems in cloud. You've just moved it to somebody else's servers. So taking time to do some amount of refactoring is where you're gonna really get success. How do you take advantage of what cloud has to offer with things like the ability to turn things on and off and be able to use all those wonderful things that we've been you know, advertising about cloud for 15 years. Um, you know, I think the, the final piece of the puzzle there, the third thing that I see a lot that we have a lot of conversations about um, is you know, when we get to cloud, yeah, we've marked success. We know that we did it. We did our refactoring. We're there. Is after I'm already there, um, now what? So staying on top of the continued innovations of cloud, but then also staying on top of your steady state. And what I mean by that is number one complaint I get from clients when we start talking about where they are in cloud is well, it was supposed to be cheaper and it was for a while. And then cost overruns, you know, think forgetting about things like, you know, we, we, it's hard to forget now. We all talk about data egress, right? So we all think about that. But there are other things that, you know, if your business case was built on 60% uptime, that I'm going to shut things down, on my dev environments down on the weekends, and then you don't actually execute on that, you probably got a cost overrun coming. So, you got to move your mentality away from legacy IT into this new operating model, this new thinking, and really develop things like your governance strategy. How are you going to allow, how are you going to provide autonomy to your organization, to your developers, your system administrators, that sort of thing um, with some amount of control? If you give total autonomy, you're going to totally blow up your budget. But if you just lock everything down and clamp down, you're back to legacy IT and it's gonna take you forever to get things spun up. So you gotta find that balance. And so the key to ongoing success beyond just the migration is governance and strategy.
0: And David, we mentioned cost, that's an easy metric to know whether you hit or came below or came in above, but there must be other metrics that are getting at that intangible say speed of deployment in fact even maybe the service you are able to offer citizens and constituents those are measurable metrics that could be associated with cloud what are what are some of the ways people can measure success other than the cost factors which are not trivial but they're not the only ones
1: correct tom and i think it comes down to overall service levels you know the the availability of the cloud is But we just expect it's going to be there and it can be designed such that it is there a lot. Uh, Taking advantage of that, by the way, is a responsibility of the reader, right? This is an exercise left to the reader. You can do it incorrectly. Uh, Just as Chris mentions, just because you got it into the cloud doesn't mean it magically resolved any misconfigurations, misappropriated architectures. Uh, Performance increases, Sometimes we're hearing a lot about tremendous performance increases. And at first some people say, well, it's, I, I don't know, one second or a second point three. I don't care. It, it seems to be okay. But really what that ma- what that means is that they can get more people, uh, they can absorb more surges and demand on the system more transparently than they ever could before. In fact, as the pandemic started, and there were certain parts of the public sector that were hit harder for checking for things like uh, eligibility, and, and even as we roll out COVID, systems that were designed to, with a certain level of throughput in mind, were 10x, maybe even 100x what that is, and they just fell over. They just They just couldn't take the load. So with cloud, what we see is if that happened and you were on a smaller server at first, well shoot, you can make that server much, much bigger or even add more to it. And this is a non-problem for you now. So knowing that in advance allows a lot more agility. And the last thing about this that I think is very important is that critical word security. And we think about cybersecurity in general and what happens if our information is exposed. And, and a lot of it happens to be exposed, if not held for ransom. And the cloud service providers, you know, they have to put together a very robust infrastructure. They've hired the world's best computer, computer security technologists, network security people, and that is inherent. In fact, you can't even buy, you can't even get around it. You have to take advantage of of the security that's there. Does't mean you can't set up a configuration that sort of leaves the doors unlocked and wide open. Again, that's a bit on you. But the, the security is there. And I think if you take all of these things and add them up, It's not just the cost, it's the service levels in general. It's higher performance, it's the agility and scalability, it's the more robust security environment. All of these things really, truly bring the value of cloud.
0: And Chris, how would you say the skill sets of the public sector IT employees have caught up to what is required in the cloud age? And I would include in those skill sets that idea of skill sets, the ability to understand what is the best role played by the government versus the best role played by the cloud vendor, because that balance might be different in the cloud era than with other types of vendors.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, from a, from a skills and resourcing standpoint, um, let's face it, everybody's doing something with cloud and everybody knows that it's nearly impossible to find cloud people and they are expensive. And so, um, it's a tough balance. It really is a tough balance in terms of finding people, being able to afford them, and then uh, you know that right mix of skills. And so, I think we're at a great point where we can start to grow people. And so, what I mean by that is, public sector for the last decade or more has really been facing major staffing problems, uh, IT especially, where you know. Not enough funding, not enough people—the whole mix. Uh, can't find the right level of skills. Cloud gives an interesting opportunity, I think, for organizations uh, to be able to grab onto something really interesting and then get and skill up people because they're going to want to do it. I mean, let's think about it. Someone coming right out of college—they're going to want to do cool new things. Cloud, you know, is everybody talks about cloud. It's cool. It's new. Uh, I mean. Tom, how many people have you heard come out of college and go, dang, COBOL on mainframe sounds awesome. Uh, it just, that doesn't happen. So, you know, take advantage of this opportunity. And, and frankly, you know, in a lot of cases you're gonna, you're gonna bring in SIs. You're gonna bring in consultants to help you get things into cloud, get things stood up, get things running, maybe even run things. Um, use them and set the expectation that they're helping educate your people. There's no reason that you can't have you know, what we call a two in a box model where I'll bring some really smart architecture folks and then you bring a smart architecture person and we put them together and you're bringing the heritage and the knowledge of your organization and I'm bringing the new skills and we're all going to be able to get the job done together. It's got to be a partnership. Then when the SI leaves, you now have skills in your organization.
0: All right. Good advice. On that note, we will take a short break. My guests today are Chris Pasternak. He's the managing director and North America Oracle lead at Accenture. And David Knox is the group vice president and chief technology officer for public sector at Oracle. I'm Tom Temen. This is a special bulletin review, an enterprise cloud conversation sponsored by Oracle and Accenture here on Federal News Network. The opportunity for the public sector and technology industry to work together has never been greater. Join Oracle's One Federal monthly webcast series for a front row seat to learn how your federal peers and industry leaders are delivering practical, innovative solutions for today's evolving challenges. You'll learn firsthand how Oracle and its partners are changing the way industries do business, starting with an enterprise cloud without compromise. Register now for Oracle One Federal at oracle.com/onefederal. Welcome back to our special bulletin review, an enterprise cloud conversation sponsored by Oracle and Accenture here on Federal News Network. My guests today are David Knox, the group vice president and chief technology officer for public sector at Oracle, and Chris Pasternak, the managing director and North America Oracle lead at Accenture. I'm your moderator, Tom Temen, And David, before the break, we were talking about skill sets and what is needed both on the government and the vendor side in the cloud age. And I wanted to get your perspective from a product vendor, especially one that has a legacy of applications and databases, and Oracle, for many, many years, sold that type of product to government people that became specialists, say, in Oracle. And oracle applications now as a cloud provider that's kind of like a new oracle and so what are some of the skill sets that you are finding that you're looking for in the government that it needs to develop so that you can best work with customers in the cloud age
1: so tom i think that the the evolution is one that is twofold one is obviously the technological aspect of what has happened with cloud and Outs- it's not just an outsourcing IT, we call that managed services at a, at a certain point, but it's the, the construct of having services. And then there's the business part of that, there's the subscription part of it, there's the pay as you go construct uh, with that, that, that allows a new level of thinking and it's a new level of responsibilities to your point and a new type of engagement between the public and private sector, the, the private sector being the cloud service providers. That role for private sector cloud service providers has expanded immensely. It, it wasn't too long ago when you're selling on-premise technology. Uh, first of all, the, con- the phrase on-premise wasn't even really <laughs> Who would use that to describe anything on-premise? Uh, what was happening was the, the technology was sold, so that was the business part. It, was, it had uh, generally an annual or multi-year kind of, of term, to, to write, to use that, but the implementation and the success shifted hundred percent to the implementers and to the, to the buyer and cloud. We see quite a change in that because of the fact that you can turn on and turn off services because you can decide to renew or stop. And the, the whole, so the business part even tends to drive that technological part that has changed the engagement that occurs between the cloud service providers and the private and and the public uh, sector buyers in there and so what that means is it's a continuous engagement model and what we're seeing is in continuous engagement and and the learning is that continuous engagement is both at a teaching perspective from the cloud service providers as well as a a sort of consultative advisory, uh, sort of an unofficial consultative advisory role on here's how to best take advantage of what these offerings are.
0: So it almost becomes incumbent on the government practitioner to almost take on project or program management skills because you do have an ongoing relationship with that cloud vendor.
1: Absolutely. And it's incumbent upon them to seize the opportunity now because the cloud providers are very willing, they're very staffed, and they're very educated at being able to provide infrastructure and architecture best practices all the way up through the data layer into the business processes and work alongside the Accentures of the world to really get faster time to mission, more reliable time to mission, and more agility as that mission evolves over time.
0: And so in some way that translates upstream in the managerial ladder of an agency to where real program managers and agency executives should have different expectations about their ability to roll out new services and new programs.
1: Absolutely. And I think one thing that uh, it's sort of a lesson learned that's often forgot is not to be too prescriptive about the who's and the how's when, when choosing a direction through IT. Uh, that that leniency and keeping the top level objective, for example, the ability, you know, service levels and service expectations are the right level, saying how those things should be done, that should not be prescribed because then you're boxing yourself in.
0: All right. And Chris, I wanted to ask you about modernization and cloud. And as we know, the Biden administration, the new administration has requested anyway, $9 billion for the technology modernization fund. Nobody knows how that will go, but it's possible that the next round of TMF could be substantially larger than we've seen in the past several years by possibly a factor of 10 or 20. And so as agencies think about modern, modernizing, they have to think about cloud. And so they come to the classic question of how do I prioritize what workloads are best suited to refactor or otherwise re-architect for the cloud, given that there's a generation of applications already in the cloud for most agencies. What's the next field here?
2: Yeah. And you know what, Tom, it it really tends to depend on that organization, what the strategy, the goal, the focus of the organization is, you know, I spent a lot of time working with, uh, with our clients thinking about big legacy on-prem application stacks. You know, it's, Over the past decade or so, um, we've seen web apps and things of that that nature move to cloud. We've seen custom new development. We've not seen a lot of movement uh, up until maybe four or five years ago of big legacy on-prem, run your business type applications. Those have classically been in the data center. Part of it is, yeah, they haven't played well with cloud in the past, and part of it is, Uh, just a fear of, uh, I've got this thing working and the minute I relinquish control, I don't, you know, I lose that opportunity to provide service to my users. So the key factor really being thinking about where are you now? Everybody's got something in cloud. Um, You know, thinking about what makes the biggest improvement. So if I think about back office applications, because it's, frankly, I started in ERPs and moved into cloud over the years and that sort of thing, but I think about those ERPs, back office, um, really the goal for everybody, everybody should be looking down the line 10 years and say, but in 10 years, I'm on SaaS. I'm, I'm done running uh, these applications. I'm done messing around with this stuff. I'm on SaaS. How do I get there? Then becomes that conversation. And you know, we know that federal financials, for example, is complicated. It's different than private sector, than gap accounting. So it's taking time to get there, but if I wanna to move to cloud now, use it as a stepping stone. What things can I do? I, get, I put that application on cloud. How do I then further my agenda by stop customizing the app, build using cloud native services, bolted onto the application, because then I can just repoint. And that makes things so much easier to start to think about your transition.
0: And David, that implies, of course, that there are new services coming from clouds. And, you know, again, as a, as a technology vendor, Oracle has a long history of adding new products and services to existing ones. I'm, I'm old enough to remember when dual-phase commit was a big deal in database processing and, you know, we're many decades from that. But what are some of the latest offerings technically from clouds that can enable agencies to think about factoring those enterprise applications that Chris just described, because I think clouds ought to be a partner in that, not just wait for the agency to upload it. Fair enough?
1: Fair enough, for sure. Uh, Thanks for the call out to uh, two-phase commit there. That's that's a- That's taken us back a while. Uh, let's let's spend 20 minutes on that if you don't know I'm just kidding uh, the, the services it's interesting when you when you get the list of what's available because it really quickly shoots up into the hundreds and what you realize is there's a lot going on there that really provides a very robust Cloud, uh, and I'll even talk about things like Cloud Guard and, and Data Safe as an example from Oracle, where these are tools that look at your actual implementation in cloud and run risk and security assessments against this to make sure that you haven't accidentally left some doors and windows unlocked and open uh, in there. Or if you've done it, you've, you certainly are aware of what that is. So there, there's benefits in and above. Uh, what used to be available for just just pure services, if you will. And the government, this is huge for compliance, and cap- in, in auditing requirements, being able to do attestation and and feel that level of confidence, do it easily, do it for low cost, do it consistently, do it reliably. That's a that's a small thing that's a big thing inside of public sector. And then I think the other part that the part that really hits people that they get excited about are things like digital assistance, blockchain, the AI and ML uh, abilities, uh, doing graph analytics, taking advantage of huge farms of GPUs that can do types of computing that were difficult to do because it was an investment in a completely different type of computing resource. So now agencies have the ability to try out new concepts, new constructs that they've kicked around and and ideas that they can pull in from other industries and other sectors, say, I wonder if I can apply that to my mission here and get similar results. In my mind, I can see how that works. The cloud has the capabilities, we just need to turn it on to try and take advantage of it.
0: And Chris, that uh, thought strikes me that uh, it's related a lot to the whole machine learning, artificial intelligence question, because I think given the data costs and data maintenance costs that agencies face, regardless of where the data is, by running the right algorithms totally in the cloud against the data that's in the cloud, you might have sort of a lightweight set of traffic going back, giving you, so to speak, the answer. Is that a good way to to look at it?
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, you think you look at those surprise, we talked about cost, you look at the surprise cost, network cost, storage cost, those types of things. You're right, spot on. That's the stuff that surprises organizations. So if you can start to get smarter for how you leverage that and using things that are this new technology, AI, ML, starting to implement, those types of technology to, number one, you know, fine, use less network traffic, be able to get the answers, but continue to get better answers. And the beauty of it is, you know, years ago, uh, we were doing the mining ourselves, we were doing all the thinking ourselves, you know, we had to go out and figure out what data to get and what have you, you know, as machine learning and AI continues to get smarter, it's helping us do that so we can react faster, make better decisions, continue to improve those decisions. And that's where starting to take a look at that, um, you know, I, if ever, I would frankly say, if, if you're an organization that's not looking at it, you need to at least look at how does that improve your data? Everybody needs data. Everybody's got to use it. Um, You know, frankly, uh, there's a, the, one of the, one of my, one of the data guys that I work with a lot pointed out that There's information and there's data. Everybody's got information. You know, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to use the data?
0: All right. It's almost like making the cloud your data refinery. And in the time we have left, David, let me ask you about the hybrid situation because, well, specifically, what type of effect does all of this new cloud thinking have on the data center? which agencies will still have, they all say we're gonna be hybrid. And I think even the vendors realize they'll be hybrid, but it's not the same old grandma's data center either that's resulting when you do go heavily with cloud, correct?
1: Absolutely. Hybrid is a reality for sure. Multi-clouds is a reality. Certain workloads work better on certain architectures and certain systems. As I mentioned before, if you're doing massive uh, graphics analytics, GPUs tend to work better on those kinds of systems. And so as people contemplate their crawl, walk, run strategy for cloud, they have to think very carefully what goes to cloud, how does it go to cloud, and what does that mean for the things that are not in cloud? That's first step. And then that's the crawl. And then as they start to walk, they start to think about the multi-clouds and then how do I do things consistently so that they can at least think mentally about what is their overall governance and strategy for cloud irrespective of the thing, irrespective of where it goes, irrespective of when it goes, they're able to speak to it in a way that makes sense for them. And it gives them a path to move forward.
0: Some great ideas, some great thoughts. I want to thank today's guests because we are out of time. Chris Pasternak is the Managing Director and North America Oracle Lead at Accenture. And David Knox is the Group Vice President and Chief Technology Officer for Public Sector at Oracle. I'm your moderator, Tom and You've been listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Oracle. Thank you for listening to the special bulletin review and enterprise cloud conversation sponsored by Oracle and Accenture on Federal News Network.